Welcome back to another episode of the Get Thinking Podcast. My name is Chris McGee. I'm your host. So today I was fortunate enough to have one of my training partners and friend, Jim Magilton. Uh, Jim was a former Ipswich player. Uh, he's also a former Ipswich manager and former manager of Queen's Park Rangers. And he does a lot of work within the Northern Ireland football community. Uh, it was just phenomenal to hear him talk about today, you know, his life, his career, uh, we talked a bit about entitlement and what it really takes to make it in football these days. But really interesting chat. I'm re- I really look forward to it. It's a phenomenal podcast. So let me know what you think. Speak soon. Podcast is about to begin. Hi, this is Chris McGee, and you are listening to the Get Thinking Podcast. Happy days. So, Jim, we, this is the first time I think I've ever spoke to you. We're well, not gasping for her. 100%. Or the sweat is lighting out of both of us. Ado and his assault bike. It's the, the, uh, every single week he goes yeah. in and he, we have a Friday morning session at 6 o'clock and he would say, do you want to come in at 7 or 8 o'clock? And then I'm kind of like, yeah, no problem, because you're, you're, you're thinking you're getting into like something a bit easier yeah. and then all of a sudden he's like no no it's because the assault bike's being used at six o'clock and you don't realize what you're getting in for but um, we, we did that session yeah and and that session sent me over the edge that's why you haven't seen me in a, a fortnight i think i'm still recovering yeah <laughs> <laughs> he just pushes it up every single week yeah but uh, thanks very much for coming on first Thank of you. all um so why don't you tell us a bit about your background uh where you started mm. and go from there yeah um well, I had a professional football career. Uh, I left here at 16. Yeah. I went to Liverpool as a 16-year-old. So naive and so so not ready for what was... Skysbirds, Northern yeah, Irish yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah well, this, all, all this happened very quickly, you know, and uh, Matt fell in love with 17, believe it or not. But uh, that's another, that's for another day. But uh, yeah, I had four years there. And at that time, Liverpool were winning league titles. They were the best team in the, in the land. They were, yeah. you know, this incredible club. And it was for me, young boy from Belfast, going into that environment. That was like a dream come true. Yeah, it was a dream come true, Chris. You know, because it was winning mentality every day, every day. And it just suited my profile. I came from that sort of mentality of, Work ethic, attitude, application—all taken from my dad. Yeah, yeah. So that was a major part of me, my makeup. So going into that was perfect. I I would have loved to be around that kind of environment from a young age because mm-hmm. a minute now, mm-hmm. I think I think the older you get into it, it's harder to break the habits you've developed over time. I agree. like I try and be around winners and positive people and yeah. that sort of stuff because that environment definitely pushes you to be better. I wish I had a had to yeah. do that at that age. Yeah, because then obviously it pushes you. And once you develop those habits and they've yeah. been ingrained for a few years, yeah, it's really easy to just continue them. It is. And the similarities between ourselves and Scousers is that it's about a working environment. They're yeah. working class people. Yeah. They you know, they work all week and they enjoy their weekends. Yeah. And it's a very very much a family environment, community environment. They're a bit tribalistic as well. South Liverpool, North Liverpool, East Liverpool, West Liverpool, they're a bit like that. It's a bit like the Belfast makeup yeah, yeah. too. You know, uh, you can always tell a, a North Belfast man, but not much. So, you know, so it's all, but I, yeah, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I threw myself into it. 
and uh, and for four years it was a major part of my life. Okay, and why football? Why why was the sport you chose football? It kind of way chose me. I uh, I always had a ball. It yeah. was uh, you know whatever shape ball was. I always had. I was always so uh, involved in sport, whatever sport. So yeah. if Wimbledon was on, we get the tennis racket. We didn't yeah. even make a cricket bat. You know, we play cricket and the hurls and the Gaelic ball and and everything football. Every you know. Back on age, we saw every patch of grass, everybody's on, kids are on it, they run mad, good boys and girls, you know, yeah. and uh, and street football. Mm-hmm. That, that People now in the game, you wouldn't believe it, like people now are trying to create street footballers. Yeah, that's yeah. how we were growing up. And you were just going into a 15 essay, say, and it didn't matter if you're playing against an 18-year-old boy or if you're a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. boy. You know, it just didn't matter. You just knew what, who was in your team. Yeah. It was never, never bibs handed out or the way games are structured now. But it was all street football, and you play from the moment you woke up till till you went to bed. Till you went to bed. It used to be like that. Like even when I, like I grew up in the nineties, and yeah, like even then, yeah, we were the same. We waited without and played football on the street. Like I wasn't into video games, not a, never was no. a computer game fan. I always like being out playing, yeah. and we we did play football. And I thought I really loved football up until about the age of maybe 22, 23. Mm-hmm. and then when I stopped. Going to the Super Sundays, I realised that I liked the drinking more than the football. <laughs> Which then became a Super Sunday. Yeah, well, <laughs> Which then became a Super Sunday. <laughs> exactly. For different reasons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, I people just don't do that anymore. Everything's so yeah. safety, kids, this and that and the other. It's so yeah. structured. What, like, what it do is. you think about how you grew up playing football the, I, the higher it is now? Do you know what? I wouldn't change my childhood. I, was, I had the happiest child, even though growing up through the troubles. I, I just had, you know, I went to school primary school that was winning games and all of them. Then I went into St Mary's. Mum and dad threw me into St Mary's because they were more friend. They wanted me to concentrate on my education and getting um, uh, O-levels then, GCSEs equivalent now, and obviously continue on to go to college and university. And they never seen football. My dad was a plumber. Yeah. I never seen football as a job. I did. Yeah. I always had this belief that I was going to be a professional footballer and nothing was going to stand in the way, even though I had uh, disappointments early on. Liverpool came out of the blue. Yeah. It just came out of the blue and it just so happened to be the best club in the country yeah. and one of the best clubs in, in the world. And it was Liverpool. And Are you a Liverpool fan then? Um, died in the world. You know, I've, my two sons are just diehards. They're season ticket holders. They're just loving it. You know, and we're loving what's happening at the minute. Yeah. yeah. So, it, yeah, that was the start of it. And then, you know, four years in, Kenny Elglish was the manager and he, you know, he told me straight, you know, you're not going to play here. That was the first time where major, major disappointment, you know. And you know what's like when you get that, it's like, well, how do you it's it sink or swim? Do you go home? Easiest options to go home. I know so many fantastic footballers who were so yeah. much better than me that couldn't deal with that disappointment, returned home mm-hmm. and did whatever they did. I didn't want to be another statistic, I wanted to be a footballer and I was determined to do it. So he sold me to Oxford United for a hundred thousand pounds back in the day and that was the start for me that was the start of my professional career really. right okay and how was it being in that environment compared to like obviously you're training at home and mm-hmm. you're playing for people at home mm-hmm. what was the difference between that and playing in that environment yeah. just the levels just the quality you know and just the uh sheer it was pressure as well yeah. you know dealing with the pressure once once i stepped into oxford united's first team i was actually playing for a living that's the way it felt. So yeah. I was bringing money in and it was actually a living. This is my job now. This is my profession. I've been lucky enough for 10 years to put on a pair of football boots and I continue to do that to this day. Yeah. So I feel very privileged to do that. But it's 
Money, earning money. Yeah, playing, doing what you love yeah. as well. Exactly, but earning money. Actually, uh, I'm thinking about buying a house. Yeah, you know, a mortgage. You know, responsibilities. Same team, uh, Well, twenty then when I left. Twenty, yeah. So okay. I'm, I'm thinking about you know, you know, I met someone and uh, and you know, I want to settle down and I want to continue on a, a career, really focused. And actually, United at the time was the making of me. They were in the equivalent of the championship now, and I had a manager had great belief in me. And that was the other thing. You know, managers and people who showed faith in me, they got the most out of me. Yeah. You know, and and throughout my career, there were managers who just didn't really fancy me and and, and, and just tied me off. How important do you think that relationship is between the manager and the players? Like, I, not not even players, like individual mm-hmm. players? Massive. Is it? Yeah. One of Michael O'Neill's greatest strengths is his individual, how he deals with the individual. Yeah. And, and I've seen that early on uh, when we worked together at Chalmers Rovers. But... It's massive. I was lucky enough again to be captain. Lucky or unlucky to be captain at each club. Yeah, yeah. And and the buffer between the changing room and the manager's room is massive. Uh-huh. If you can if you can control, for want of a better word, the dressing room, it makes the manager's job easy. Yeah. And the manager has to show faith. So show faith when he hands you the armband and he says, Right, I'm gonna treat you like adults. Yeah. If you act like adults, no problem. But if you act like babies, I'm going to treat you like babies. Yeah. So the buffer between, I was kind of a that go between. And, and it worked well for me because I could deal with the players in a way where the manager couldn't really speak to them. I knew yeah. probably more personally, personally yeah. than the manager. But uh, no, but they were, they were great times, you know, because uh, that was the first time really where responsibility was thrust upon me. And again, it was sink or swim. And I reveled in it. I really enjoyed it. At such a young age as well, like that's that's like yeah. that's unheard of now. Yeah. Captains and yeah. like I know I, I'm not the don't know an awful lot yeah. about football, but you know that. But even life experiences at twenty twenty one, what have you really yeah. learned? You haven't yeah. learned an awful lot. It was just so he'd seen something in me, and away you go. Yeah, unbelievable. Mm. And what about life in Oxford compared to Liverpool? How how was that different? Well, two extremes. It was it was a massive university town, as you know, yeah. and. Uh, City and it were banks everywhere mm-hmm. and students everywhere and a more led back sort of uh, you know aspect of life mm-hmm. uh, compared to the hustle and bustle of a big city and a, and a you know in a port uh, like Liverpool and there was an edge in Liverpool that wasn't an edge in, in Oxford yeah it was very well to do and again it was a beautiful city and it was a, a it was a, a different experience. Uh, but a, a, a fantastic experience, right? Um, I was going to ask you something out of camera what it was just off the back of that, yeah. What something to do with Oxford? So, university life, what is the what, what's the hidden life of the footballer like? What's what's that uh, part? The part that people don't see, yeah, kind of know about what's what's that like, yeah. Not a great question because what people see and perceive on a Saturday at three o'clock is totally different to the the actual day-to-day, mm-hmm. you know, and I only found that uh, when I went straight from playing into managing mm-hmm. uh, and probably go into that, but uh, as a footballer, it's, it can be quite boring, do you know, because you're preparing yourself each day for training and you're brutally selfish. Yeah. So it's what you eat, what you drink, how you uh, recover after games. And even back in the end days, there was still a drinking culture. 
Yeah. Do you know? So the drinking culture was still That's very still, much in yeah. effect. Yeah. Here, it's on. Nah, it's unheard of. It would be yeah. seen as, you know, out of the ordinary. Back then, Liverpool at that time were recognised as one of the biggest drinking cultures and winning every week and winning major tournaments. Yeah, I even remember reading Roy Keane's autobiography mm. a few years ago, talking about that. You yeah. know, that was normal back in the yeah. sort of early 90s, just, yeah. just going out for a few pints on Saturday. Saturday and, and Sunday. Sa- all managers would sack. sack. Like, the, the, you'd be sacked. 100%. And, and, and players would be... Saturday nights, Sundays, uh, sometimes a Tuesday club, you know, and you'd have a group of, especially a group of single lads in the club. Yeah. It could be dangerous. And 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 sometimes you get lost in that and you think it's the norm. Yeah. And and probably at the time it was the norm. Uh and as I said, you know, it'd be, you know, it'd be frowned upon now if you if you were in that sort of culture. And yeah. and and I think the foreign influences help certainly help that. But it was day to day. They bring a different level. Yeah. They, yeah. I think they brought that uh, with them, a lot of a lot of positives and negatives about the foreign influence within the game, but definitely that was a positive. But it was dealing with the boredom, and I talk about young players now. If they can't deal with boredom, they can't deal with themselves and being, you know, on their own, for example, and they're in digs and they close the door and they're not with, you know, their moms and dads and their mates and they can't just nip out. It can be very very lonely and very difficult. And people say that as well. You know, you hear boxers saying. Mm-hmm. Boxing's a very lonely sport. Yeah, I think, and even even being a business owner, yeah. it can be a lonely case. Yeah. Even I consider myself in the early stages, and like most nights, you're going, you, you're like, right, I need to get a bit of work done tonight, so mm. I can't go out and I can't do all this. My mates are all going on a Saturday, and they're going mm. Sunday sessions, and mm. they're going all the all Wednesday, and I'm yeah. going, I need to sit in and do social media or have clients yeah. to get back to. Yeah, and I, I don't think people see that, or people don't know that that no. it's very very lonely. It, it really is to choose a lot of lot of a lot of your free time yeah. spent on your own. Yeah, it's it's even gone to the levels now where it's totally it's clubs talk about Liverpool talk about the twenty four hour athlete. Mm-hmm. It's twenty four hours a day, and if you want like the dividends now for a player in the professional yep. game in the Premier League, I think the bang average is forty grand a week. So forty thousand pound a week for dedicating yourself for maybe ten or fifteen years, and then living like a king for the rest of your life. It's it's worth the sacrifice. Back in my day, it wasn't those riches weren't in the game. It was yeah. starting to come towards the latter end of my uh, my career. But certainly now, to dedicate yourself to that sport, especially if you're a talented, uh, if you're a talented individual, the rewards are massive. And if you're top, if you're top of your game, it's the rewards are probably three to four times that a week. Well, yeah, five hundred grand a week. You know, whatever they're earning, you know, whatever Ronaldo's earning, whatever Messi's earning, mm-hmm. there are superstars in the field, and the game has been elevated to that level, and the money within the game has been elevated at that level. And how do, how do you spot a player like who's going to be? Can can you see something in somebody early on when you know they're going yeah. to be a player? But I don't get caught up. There's a lot of things out there, and you talk about speed, personality, intelligence, technique. Yeah. I, I, when I'm looking at young players, there's just something about a young player I look at, mm-hmm. and, a, and it could be the way he addresses the ball. It could be the way he passes the ball. It could be the way he moves. It could be the way he is constantly turning his head. It could be the way he manages the game. I don't get caught up in specifics. I just, when there's I'm looking, something, there, something about him. It. There's just something about them. And within the association, I'm working now at the Irish Football Association, we have done incredible work in terms of grassroots and the small set of game centers have been a revelation and we're encouraging 
more touches on the ball. We're encouraging technique. We're encouraging kids the, the freedom to go and play. So if you go out on a side and you watch these, you see them stand out like beacons. Yeah. And what does it take? What does it take, like mentality-wise, for a player? You know, because you see so many. I remember I seen it when when I was boxing. Mm. You know, you had all these t- really talented mm. kids. Um, fortunately, I wasn't one of them. <laughs> but Do you get hit too much. Well, before <laughs> not sure. At least a nightclub on a Thursday night. <laughs> Those kind of things. The shooting lifestyle got me yeah, before yeah, anything yeah. else did. But you see, like I remember, you used to see the teenagers and go, "There won't be the next big yeah. thing." And then all of a sudden, they turn. It always seems to be 16, 17, 18, and they get caught up with their mates in the party. And yeah. then all of a sudden, boxing goes out the window. <laughs> and so all three simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it, caught up, and then all yeah. of a sudden, that attitude, and the process that they had maybe for sort of 10 years yeah. you know they were training every day and yeah. then all of a sudden it just goes to waste yeah it really does and our dropout's huge yeah between the ages of 16 and 18 if a kid goes to England we have and they come back at 18 80, 85 90% of our kids return home and some of them never play again yeah never play the game again and and then the dropout in terms of do they have another career do they continue in their career in the Irish League a lot do you know, and again, a lot of work's being done at uh, Irish League level to encourage more kids yeah, to they, get they, into their first team. But yeah. it's a it's a mindset. It is a attitude. It's a it's all the words that people use and throw around, and they use it. You know, uh, you hear the great, great athletes and the great sportsmen that ever lived. They talked, and people talk about them. There was just something about them. What was it? Well, it was a desire. It was you know, it was practice. Yeah. I love practicing. The fundamentals. Basics. I had a brick wall. I had an electric box that I lived in. And yeah. it was just four walls. Yeah. And it was constantly with the ball, constantly with the ball, con- improving technique until my technique was my strongest point. And that got me through my whole career. But it was the desire to practice. Mm-hmm. And it was like purposeful practice. Not, you know, you can go on a, 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 you know, a computer for hours and hours and hours. And I end up not doing anything. Yeah, but you, you, if you're going on with a focus to do, I'm going to get this done. You get it done. You do, and you, you can get it done in a very short space. Very of short space of time. When, when you when you're focused, totally. Like 15 minutes a day of focused attention can be better than five hours a day of yeah. unfocused attention. So, so the average time for a kid in school or a young young person, I think between the ages of 11 and 15, they spend 35 hours a week on a computer or a PlayStation. Jesus, right? So, and and again. If they spend an hour a week on their technical work, seven hours, sorry, an hour a day, seven hours a week, it'll turn them into a better player. Yeah. Now, if you even multiply that, even if you cut it in half, the amount of time you spend with the ball is going to make you a better player. So our kids will, it's not the trainers they work. It's not the expensive pair of boots. It's practicing the fundamentals. Constantly, constantly, constantly. So if you've got a really solid base, it's something to work from. Yeah. I've got to say, I'm going to bring it back to boxing for a Mm -hmm. second because it's, the sport that I spent a lot of time yeah. in. And there was a guy, and he went to the Olympics, Brian Irvine. He yeah. was in our club. And every single day, I'm not even joking, he was there. I think this guy was fighting these seven Irish titles. Yeah. He was on track to go to the Olympics and yeah. Europeans and all sorts. Yeah. And every single day, he was in the gym, exactly when he was supposed to be, and he would be up sure. in the boxing, fundamentals, doing everything that he was told. Yeah. The basics over and over and over again. Yeah. And, you know, even in business, you know, you think about, you're thinking about strategies for this and strategies yeah. for that and strategies mm-hmm. for that. And it comes back to the fundamentals. Yeah. You know, create something that gives more value than anybody else. Yeah. How do you add value? Yeah. How do you price that in the right way? How do you sell it? 
yeah. you've got you've got to bring yourself back to those fundamental questions. Yeah. The same with sports, just practicing the same things over yeah. and over and over again. I and talk home routine and one I talk to I talk to the boys constantly about that. Yeah. I talk uh, your technique will define what level you play at. Mm-hmm. Your fundamentals will dictate what level you play at. If you're if you've worked like I have a I put the camera on the voice, similar like this, and they're playing their game, PlayStation and FIFA and Xbox or whatever it is. And you watch these kids play it. I've gone on record as saying this. They never take their eyes off the screen and their left hand, right hand's moving the console and they're constantly, constantly and they're making decisions on a TV screen in front of them. So head it, tackle, kick it, you know, score, you know, cross it, you know, go, goalkeeper makes a save. They're making every millisecond they're making decisions. So I, I turn it off and then play it back to them. Yeah. I say to them, right, listen, if you could transfer those skills, right foot, left foot, head up, right, constantly knowing that you have perfected your technique to the point where you know exactly where the ball is and you're playing with your head up, what a player you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Transfer those skills. Spend as much time with the ball than, than as you do with a console mm-hmm. and a TV screen, you're going to be some player. Change it over. Reverse is, it. Is that huge And with the kids these days just constantly playing computer games? It's 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 societal, and it's dragged me insane. Something I'm into. I mean, I, 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 I never. I didn't like. I, yeah. I was. I can't remember what I was watching the other week, but I was talking like how many billions of kids mm-hmm. are in the gaming industry, yeah. and it's just like over my head. But yeah. I suppose when you're not involved, you don't know. I, I, I listen. I was never into it. I was. I may as well be wearing boxing gloves. Mm-hmm. My kids always used to try and get me back. No. Video games are like my mom get out. Rain figures no, get out, go and get some fresh air. So you put it out, you know, yeah. and, and you came in to eat. Yeah. And then you put it out again. Yeah. Do you know like and, at nine o'clock in yeah. the summer and yeah. then you're back straight Yeah, to Totally. And there was a lamp and a wall and I lived under it and just constantly, even when we were getting that age, fifteen or sixteen, lads used to go and do whatever yeah. they yeah. did. I used to be running up Hannestown Hill. I used to love it. I used to love the pain. I used to go through it. I used to think, this is going to stand me in good stead. Nobody else is going to be doing this. I'm yeah. doing it. And I want to be a player. I want to be a footballer. And is that, did, did you ever call up the party lifestyle? or did, were you, Never. Not then. No. But, listen, as a captain, I was very much a social organiser. I very much loved the social background. I loved being a part of it. I love getting the groups together. I love getting the waves out and getting, the, and you know, eventually waves and kids and yeah. all this sort of thing. So like part of my role was to be, you know, inclusive and trying to generate a real good camaraderie among players and, and families and, and that sort of buzz. Yeah. And, uh, and that was an important aspect back then of the captain. That was part of the captain's role. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would have, I would have indulged. Uh, I loved the banter, mm-hmm. loved the crack. I was very much part of it, and uh, and to this day I'm still loving it, you know. And, and and I see that as an important aspect. Humor gets lost. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I really. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I was just on. I was at an event there on Saturday, yeah. and I'm talking about you know using humor for your business, blah yeah. blah, LinkedIn, yeah. social stuff, whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm not getting into it. Yeah, but I was sitting going to myself, you know, what what is my personality really? I was like, I'm a really cheesy cringe boy. <laughs> That's like part of my personality. <laughs> I don't really like being too serious, even yeah. though I take my job and my business very seriously. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do a really good job. But aside from that, I'm not really. Yeah. So I just threw up a stupid video yesterday. And anything that I've ever thrown up that's really stupid has got like loads of people yeah. interested. Yeah. And when I put up our best work, you know, the serious yeah. stuff, people don't care. No. So you have to add humor in. It, yeah. It, 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 
loosens the tension. Yeah. For 20 years, I had, I had a, a, you know, a 20 year career playing. And it's not so much the games, the games and all together, like the international took her, but it was the fun. Mm-hmm. It was just the fun. It was the dressing rooms. It was the characters. It was the trips. It was, Pranks. you know, the prank, the, the messing and the, the idiots you played with and the right. jokers and the more serious ones. But it was the fun. It was so much fun. Yeah. And continues to be fun for me mm-hmm. because that fraternity I was involved in, there were so many headbangers. Right, and so many idiots that you just couldn't. There, there's not enough hours in the day, but there was. It was the that aspect. When you look back, it's not so much you know you players of this unbelievable ability to trace back. If if you were a massive football fan, you'd say, Jim, do you remember that in uh, February mm-hmm. two thousand and three? You should. And I go, oh yeah, yeah, and uh, and in the sixteenth minute, I did this, and I did. They're this unbelievable ability. Well, most of them have. Uh, to be able to retrace that, but that's that's only if you're specific. What I the overall picture for me was always the people I played with, the dressing rooms I was involved, the in, and the fun, and that's what you missed most. Yeah, when you turned to the dark side and you became a coach or a manager, that's what you missed most. Even though you can still have under your players, it's not the same though, is it? Distance, yeah, absolutely. Because you're telling a, a a player, you're not playing this week. Well, he ain't going to give you a high five. He's looking at you and going. You are the biggest baby in the world. And <laughs> there's my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so Say whatever you want. Yeah. So so there was a lane you couldn't cross, and it was a different sort of matter with your staff. Yeah. I've got Joe. I, I find that difficult myself as a manager. You know, I'm trying to get that balance right. You mm. know, between being having the humor, but also yeah, you know, being being the manager and being being the You're owner. the decision maker. Now yeah. we, I've got, I've got to say, I've got a great team. They're all, yeah. they've got a lot of respect. And to get the job done and all yeah. that sort of stuff, but the banter right now we've got such a good team. Yeah, and it's the important that we're all having. It's really important. When we go on a night out. We all come here. I swear to God, you, you, they, you don't remember half the jobs, no. but you remember yeah the crack. And yeah, the yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I think it's so so important. It's it gets missed. Life's here, enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we deal with it on a day to day basis, week to week basis, month to month, year to year. It's serious enough. Yeah. But if you've got a group of people that can make you laugh. It adds so much to it, and and laugh the customers laugh too. I mean, yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. So going from player to yeah. manager, yeah. How did that come about? I ended my career at Ipswich. I went to Ipswich uh, at twenty nine, and the chairman and the manager sold me the dream. We need to get promoted. Ipswich were in the championship at the time. Their goal was to get back in the Premier League. They'd lost consecutive playoffs. Mm-hmm. I came. In the middle of the season, we lost in the playoff against Bolton in the semi-final. Devastation again. Then the next year, we were flying in the league, we top of the league, then ended up getting the playoffs. Then winning at Wembley. We got promoted in Wembley. I managed to score my only hat-trick in, in, in football in the semi-final. The, yeah. the beat Bolton to get to Wembley, to win at Wembley. Boy, your dream, win the Wembley. And then get into the Premier League. We got into the Premier League. We took it by storm. We qualified for Europe. We were flying. Jesus. Yeah. Second year, we get uh, relegated. Okay. Which was devastation again for the club. Joe Royal came in, who was a massive influence on me. Best man, man. As you talk about humour, Scouser, just a brilliant, brilliant man. Could could dissect, could, you know, the, the atmosphere within a dressing room in seconds with a one-liner. Mm-hmm. And that game, massively important and underrated. He just yeah. had this 
aura, but he had such life experiences, he had great experiences in management, but more importantly, he just was a really top bloke, you know, and, and again, I was his captain and we had a great relationship. But he, he kind of really resigned unexpectedly. Yeah. And at 37, I was just starting on my coaching ladder and I had a wonderful relationship with the chairman and the chief executive. Mm-hmm. And I just said, listen, guys, do me a favour, will, will you interview, let me go through an interview process. Obviously, I'm not going to get the job, but could you just put me through an interview process? Yeah. And they went, yeah, right. So I turned up at their house, suited and booted, briefcase a lot. Right? <laughs> and they turned out in shorts and Panama hats and, oh, what's going on here? You're not taking me seriously. And so I'll come back another day. So I came back the other day, took me seriously. Uh-huh. Went through a series of interviews. So all the big hitters for the job fell to one side. Mm-hmm. They just kept falling for whatever reasons. You know, and they obviously had their reasons. Maybe be budget, maybe be players, maybe anything or money that they were. Yeah. So it could have been anything. So I ended up going through this process, going through this process, going through till I got to the final three. Yeah. And I'd never set an interview in my life. That was my first interview. And you know, the only interviews I'd had to set was playing, manager liked me, bought me. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a, that was my interview, you know, and but it was a plan interview. Actually sitting down for an interview and preparing for an interview. Never I'd never had to work mm, yeah, a day yeah. in my life. Do you know it was football was my you know yeah. So people were people almost coming to you saying, do you want to come and play? Yeah, yeah. that's it. But yeah. to sit down through an interview process and actually talk to people like yourself and go, yeah, yeah. interview techniques, here's how you here's how you conduct yourself, here's what you say, here's what you were, here's who you look at. Maybe there's one or two, you look at them because they may like you, find out who's on the board. Jesus, that just sounds like a, that's, yeah. that sounds like a whole lot of fake effort. Yeah, trying not to be yourself. But I could, I, there's no way I would. Yeah. I wouldn't pass an interview for the basic. But but a total alien environment for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going from playing a selfish brute, the 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 you know a manager yeah. who's now going to take care of the club. Yeah. So lo and behold, I get the job. Mm-hmm. I'm in Benal Medina or Benal Madna, right, with the kids, and son number two. We're messing about in the beach, waiting on uh, the wife and uh, son number one to get ready. And I get a phone call from the chairman, who was a great man, uh, and said to me, where are you? He said, I said, that's right, you're away on holiday. I went, yeah, I am. I said, well, listen, put me out of my misery. What's the crack here? What's going on? He says, are you sitting down or what are you doing? I went, no, well, do I have to sit down? He says, no, but I think you're about to fall down. He says, you're now become the next manager of Ipswich Town Football Club. Yeah. what? Yeah. Honest? He went, no, honest. Right. And by the way, I'm going to cut your holiday short. You need to get yourself back here because you've got an interview on. I think it was, he rang me on the Saturday and the interview was on the Monday. Jesus. Yeah. Did you go home? Yeah. So I had to go. I am sitting. So I am wearing shorts. On on the Monday, I'm wearing suit and tie and unveiled yeah. as the next Ipswich Stein manager. And Ipswich Stein is a fantastic football club. One of the you know most traditional football clubs produced two England managers, mm-hmm. Sir Alf Ramsey and Sir Bobby Robson. So mm-hmm. it was a huge privilege and honour to actually yeah. manage the club. Yeah. But so you went from you went the last those last couple of years mm-hmm. were like a highlight, a career highlight. Yeah. Do you think that was a highlight of your playing career? Yeah. 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 So 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 thirty seven finishing up uh, a twenty year playing career, twenty one year playing career, and then going into my Manage first manager. Yeah. It was like when the door closed and you know that responsibility. Yeah. When you close that door and you're on your own. I was looking under the table for like the rule books. Mm-hmm. Do you know, it's like when you have kids, 
you know, oh, what, what do I do next? Oh no, it's you know, fend for yourself here, big fella. Yeah. You know, and it's again, anyway, no, it's over to you. Yeah. There's no rule book here, you know. So that's kind of way where <laughs> I needed guidance. Mm-hmm. It was fine having all this knowledge and football knowledge and player knowledge it's a and different, different ball game management, managing up chief executive. I was lucky at the club because the board were died in the wool, all very wealthy people, the thirteen on the board. Yeah. All of Town fanatics, and they were special people. They were great people. I loved working with them, uh, and they could be hard on you. They were all business people too. Uh, but the chief executive was a, a really, really good man. Mm-hmm. I learned on him. The chairman was a great man. They wanted the best for me, and they were developing me. and And that was all a case of, you know, guiding through it. And that was yeah. great for me because at the start it was difficult. Yeah, I think honestly. We see whenever you're speaking to people about transitions in their career or when people have started their own business mm. or something like you went through. Mm. When you're talking about a conversation, you yeah. kind of just go, yeah, so I quit my job, started my own business. Or, yeah, so I stopped playing and I went for a manager in your case. Yeah. And I don't think that that part in between doesn't get talked about because when you're starting that new chapter, yeah. that process of, of quitting your job yeah. and wondering, yeah, how you're going to get money, and yeah, and that's right. That whole process, and what how you're going to learn, yeah, because you, it's a completely new thing. Totally, and it's uh, people don't talk about that part enough because there's a lot of doubt, a lot of uncertainty, yeah, a lot of fear, yeah, and there's you'd be surprised what what you have to do just to get by. One of and a lot, a lot of work's being done now. Yeah, when, when players are in the game, mm-hmm. when they're coming towards the end, because you could you could end up. Depressed. Well, there's so much mental health issues now surrounded that, you know, because how do you recreate the buzz? Yeah. How do you recreate the banter? How do you recreate, you know, so that environment? and Fury after he won against Klitschko. It's, it's, what happened to, you know. So, so players now, so the PFA are working tirelessly about when players are coming towards the end of their career. It's very, very difficult. I got very nervous. You know, I've done well enough, you know, in terms of looking after my money. So that wasn't going to be an issue. But... I wanted to work. Not working to me was unheard of. Again, I, I reflect back on my dad, his attitude and application, his work ethic. You know, yeah. he worked to whatever age he was in sixties or whatever. My dad loved. My dad loved being a plumber. Loved working. John, yeah. I loved being in football and wanted to continue to work. I was so enthusiastic mm-hmm. to still to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd just been uh, again uh, involved in coaching badges, getting coaching badges, going through that. A license, the pro license coach. Uh, and that transition was really difficult. Yeah. yeah. And and not having the structure in place, the structure I wanted mm-hmm. in place, I had lots of bright ideas. I worked with some really top managers and top coaches. Yeah. And they implement that was going to take time. If you have your own business, you pretty much can make the changes very quickly. Yeah. For me, and scrap what works, you know, scrap what works, yeah, keep what doesn't work. Absolutely, you, you need to, you need to be quick on your feet, but you need totally. to try new things and keep old things. And totally. is that working for that person? Is that not working? It's it's a lot of a lot yeah. goes into a lot of thought. Yeah, it really know? was. So so coming from the social yeah side of being captain and that bridge to the manager and players who were friends, mm-hmm. uh, but understood that there was now you know a lane you couldn't cross. It was difficult, as difficult for them as it was for me. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that. And probably looking back, could I have dealt with things differently? Yeah, probably. Yeah. But again, there was no rule book for me. I was yeah. working off basic instinct, football instinct, professional instinct, 
having good people around me, which was, again, delegation. I think it took me about 18 months to realise that delegation was going to be key. And that was from a fantastic PA, yeah. two fantastic PAs at the, at the club who understood the club, who'd worked with really top-class managers mm-hmm. in George Berlin and Joe Royal, who had a really good structure in place. Yeah. So I implemented that structure and developed my own structure within the club. So, for example, working day, mm-hmm. seven o'clock in the club, half seven, breakfast, might have done a little bit in the gym, maybe eight o'clock, first meeting, medical team, yeah. who's fit, who's not fit, coaching team, mm-hmm. right? What's the sessions going to be looked at? Who have we got this weekend, right? Now we'll have been done. So each monthly planner would have been put in place. Yeah. You know, so we'd, we'd know the games and where we were going and logistics, you know, hotels, travel time, all this sort of thing. So from so you being had to deal with that as well. Totally. And so right. right. So so going I say from the player to just coming in, getting on the bus and going yeah. to you know coming in, looking at the sessions, all the sessions, right? Who's done the sessions? Oh the first team coach. Mm-hmm. So everything I was then in charge of. Yeah. But again, I go back to having the right people in place and people that can take that responsibility away from you so that you can focus on players. What you, what you need to focus on. And what you need to focus on. Exactly right. See, this is a, I know you you sort of had that phrase, you know, it took me about 18 months and that was just kind yeah. of thrown in there. What what you learned in those 18 months? Mm-hmm. I would say, were you working like 16 hours a day? More than that. Cause more, yes. Cause seven days a week. Yeah, seven days a week. You, you have a young family too. Yeah. You know, so you're hoping that's going to be taken care of. She's going to look after all that. That's grand. You're focused on the job. So your job was in seven o'clock in the morning. And sometimes, like Tuesday, you'd be going watching opposition or the reserves would be, play, be playing and I wouldn't miss the game. And then uh, Monday to Friday was all like that. Mm-hmm. And if you're traveling on a Friday, where we, Ipswich, where it was placed, game day, it was always Saturday. game day Saturday. And then it's that cycle again in Sundays, you know, yeah. for cool downs and warm downs, or the coaches will come in and watch the game over, yes. depending on how you how you get on to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that emotional roller coaster, and you're trying to keep it as an even keel, but it's very difficult. You caught up in the emotion of the game, mm-hmm. and then it's that cycle: Monday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So much goes into it. It's yeah. unbelievable, and you you the glitz and the glamour, but it's the work that has to be put yeah. in by the players, yeah. managers, and. Managing time. How, how many? You, that's Managing time. One hundred and sixty-eight hours a week. I talk about dark kids. About that's all we have. If you've got a, if you've got a title manager, CEO, yeah, owner, managing time is always going to be an issue. Massive. And then when I settled down, I had a pre-season settled down. Was slightly more relaxed. Could uh-huh. uh, sign a few players. Was happy, happier with the squad. I could delegate then. So. I had great relationships with each one of the, if you like the line manager, the kit man, the medical team, the head physio, then the coaches, and then my chief scout, and then the analysts. So we managed to we managed to put a structure in place that was a work, you know, it was working. So yeah. it was practical. I'm very much a practical person. I don't yeah. like, you know, I like it, right? Physio, this is your department. You just come and tell me. I'm not going to stand over you. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want the information. You're not micromanaging that? Definitely not. You sure. know, yeah. They've spent years and years and years to be a physio. I'm not a physio, but I just want the information. If you if, if you need a, you know, conversations, we have conversations, of course. But it was dealing, that's your field. That's your field of expertise. You're the expert. Just come and give me the information I ask. Mm-hmm. And then with that, there was a healthy respect. Yeah. I respected you. You respected me. And it was for the welfare of the player. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's all about players. Yeah. It's all about getting results. And my line of business, if I'm not getting results, I'm out of a job. 
but they results driven people. I've read this in a book before. Mm. You know, you should if you're doing a job, you should be focused on results. That's yeah. why people, you know, even if you're if you're in a job yeah. and you want to be paid better, yeah, you should you should go to your manager and say, look, I want to be paid based on the results I bring yeah. instead of being on a salary. Yeah, but being being results driven, like yeah. that's how you figure out the different ways to do it by yeah. changing our processes and doing that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And we we you know finish just outside the playoffs on the next two occasions. First season finished 15th, second, 8th and 9th, points yeah. outside the playoff. And then a new owner came in, which totally changed the dynamics of the whole football club, mm-hmm. who was very much results-driven. Very, very wealthy businessman came in and said, here's now how we're going to do business. The board left. So I was more or less talking to a teleconference machine, mm-hmm. our TV, and we were dealing with meetings one-to-one, and that changed the whole dynamics of the football club. Yeah. There was a huge... Change the energy. Change the energy and it changed, it actually changed the whole personality of the club too because yeah. it went from will we, won't we to we are definitely going to because there is a new investor in town, he's going to give out millions and we're going to get promoted in the Premier League. Well, it doesn't work like that. The championship is an unforgiving league. Yeah. You have to get the right players in and it, it takes a little bit more time, but time is not something that these guys can afford to give you. Listen, I had a great relationship with him, with the owner yeah. and yeah. I enjoyed working with him. Again, it was a great learning experience for me, but it didn't happen. And, and you know, ruthlessly, right, they go, no, you're not the for thing, me. Just because you throw a few million at it, everything's going to work yeah. out. You can't fix money. You, you can't fix money problems with money. Or, no. Or you can't fix, yeah. you know, big thing of business called sweat equity. Yeah. You know, work, working hard and being resourceful yeah. and getting the right people in. All those sort of things are crucial for but yeah. in the early stages, throwing more money at it, it's not going to make the problem better. No, but it certainly does help in terms of football world, in terms of, and again, it's who you recruit and yeah. what you recruit. And if you're recruiting really good players, you have a better chance of winning football yeah. matches. So he didn't feel as if giving me the next pot of money was for me. And he gave it to someone who had, Roy Keane, who had you know, experience of getting promoted from the championship into the Premier League. It was the first time, I think, I, I've actually felt that I failed. Do you know, it was the first time where I've actually reflected and went, you're the chancellor and it, you, you, I blew it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that was the self-reflection. Because, yeah. you know, because from every experience, good or bad, you've got to take, you know, something from it. And if you don't, you're not learning. So I learned a lot from him and from that experience. Yeah. Things that I probably wouldn't do that I won't go on record as saying, you know, but it would, there was things that I would have implemented and I got, I went back into it very quickly and probably very too soon when I went to Queen's Park Rangers as manager. But there were a lot of good things that happened uh, that I was taught that still stand in good stead to this day, you know. Okay. So what about coming back to Northern Ireland mm. then? How did that all come about? It kind of way, you know, uh, I, I, left, I left Queen's Park Rangers. Mum was well and, and then mum passed away. Mm-hmm. So that was, a, that was a huge influence on me as well. Mum was a major factor, a major figure in my life. So and I can't wait, you know, I wanted time out, even though I knew that time out could potentially mean I'm not getting another gig. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, like, if you're not if you're not in around it, you're not in it. So that felt a bit like that, you know, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I moved from England back to Northern Ireland. Yeah. And it was, it was a massive change for me, mm-hmm. you know, as much as I love home and I absolutely loved coming home 
Belfast is my town, my city. I love it. Absolutely love, love the people in it. Northern Ireland, I love a lot. And but it was it was it was surreal at first. Mm-hmm. It was kind of way adapting again, you know, same old faces. Yeah. Same I had, group. I had the same experience when I got home from Australia. I just yeah. remember getting on the bus. Yeah. And going on the town and looking like it was a different building here and a different building yeah. there. This was happening, I was like it just felt weird. Yeah. Come back for after being away for, for a couple of years. Yeah. But um, how long were you away for that? 20, 20 something years. Five, six years. So how much has changed? Oh, so much. Yeah. So much. And you're right, there was different things going up, different, you know, buildings, different hotels, just a different feel. Yeah. It was a totally different feel, you know, and uh and and again, it was just getting used to that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and waking it up, actually waking it up without thinking about put, putting on a, a pair of football boots. Yeah. That was mad. That was I was coming to terms with, oh my goodness, what do, what do I do next? Yeah. And I thought, well, do you know what I'm going to do next? I'm actually just going to chill. I'm actually going to try and enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to just, you know, enjoy being normal. Mm-hmm. Do you know, and that normality within family, I've been around my family. I have two sisters and a brother and mom, you know, my mom passed away. And uh, but my dad, you know, again a major influence on my, my life. You know, being around them and you know, and just enjoying being yeah. home. Yeah, and that kind of way relaxed me a lot, and and kind of way I could chill out and uh, being around close friends again, and and mm-hmm. you know that day to day and without the pressure, mm-hmm. without having to think, oh, my God, I've got to need three points today. Or your mind must have been frazzled at that point. Yeah, it was just. just and taking time off, I felt it was round the clock, seven days a week yeah. for so long. Mm-hmm. You will, like, if you have no time to, no. to, to, to chill and yeah. relax and sort of recharge the batteries, yeah. you just you just come to a point where you just go, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, <you see. laughs> That's exactly right, you know. And and that was just, it, you know, slipping back into that, it took time to readjust. Mm-hmm. But once I readjusted, I actually was quite enjoying it. Yeah. Do you know it was and and I had an opportunity to travel and do a little bits and pieces and and that was great and uh, and then the opportunity came to go and work at Shamrock Rovers with Michael O'Neill and uh, yeah and he was tempting me back into it and 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 I did I went I went back in because one he was a friend and he needed he needed me uh, his assistant manager had uh, had gone and he said and so. One, he was a friend and I'd known him a long, long time. <clears throat> I said, yeah, okay, no problem. Let's do this. And then we were very successful. Yeah. And then the Northern Ireland job came up and I was interviewed for the Northern Ireland job uh, eight years ago. And uh, and so was he. And he ended up getting a job. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't think I spoke to him for me. Uh, <laughs> no joking. And, and then I went to Australia. Right. For four or five months, uh, working as head coach out there in Melbourne. Love right. Melbourne. Melbourne, great city. Uh, do you know what? The two years I lived there, I never went to Melbourne. <laughs> I went to spend two years in Sydney. I spent which is great. Four, four months in Mildura. Did right. you know you think no. Mildura's no. sort of like a farm town? It's kind right. of between Melbourne and Adelaide. Right. I never I, all the opportunities I had went to Cairns. Yeah. Never, never went to Melbourne. Melbourne, great city. Coffee, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was do you know what it was sports I just staff seen, I, I just seen Melbourne as hipsters yeah. coffee yeah. you know three quarter length shorts with socks but you know what all I see it was too many healthy people just too many healthy people everybody wanted a jog I was like oh fuck it give me a yeah <laughs> take a day off everyone and then we were thrust into this unbelievable again learning environment 
Hammy Stadium, where there was Melbourne Storm, who were the best rugby league team in the world yeah. at the time. There was Melbourne Footy team. There was the Victorian Institute of Sport. And then there was us, mm-hmm. you know, Melbourne Victory, who were the biggest team in, in the country. And this facility. And this facility was yeah. Just, What's it like? Ah, oh, they're they're years ahead of us yes. in fitness. I couldn't believe. Well, my mother, Northern Ireland starting to go like it was yeah. out there now. You know, yeah. with all the semi-private coaching gyms and that yeah, sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. But when, when I went out there, it was like everybody was just so beautiful. <laughs> we were just sitting there, you know. <laughs> I we, speak for yourself here now, are you? <laughs> <laughs> we, I just now we were, we were backpackers. You know, we were getting the train home from the building sites with bottles of beer and the, yeah, yeah, and everybody was in their gym gear yeah. and stuff. Oh. I, I scum. Yeah, I I loved it. Absolutely loved no, it. I'm one of those people. Yeah, and I was offered a three year deal. And you know what? I, I kind of bottled it. Yeah. You know, and I, and there were so many fantastic people that had helped me. Yeah. And I felt that if I'd taken the, oh, the job on, it wasn't, it's all or nothing with me. Mm-hmm. It's dive in mm-hmm. and it's 100%. And I felt I would be cheating them if it. Because in my heart of hearts, it, I wasn't fully committed and I didn't want to take it under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I decided, right, off we go. I'm coming back. Yeah. I came back to Northern Ireland. And then again, fate and timing. Timing's massive in life, but timing in sport. I get an opportunity to go to Qatar mm-hmm. and I work in Doha for two years with yeah. great people, great friends who are still out there now. And it was an unbelievable experience. I'm going, Qatar? What? Please, you know, camels, desert. I went into this unbelievable city and had two years of incredible, incredible life, you know, and uh, two bed, uh, penthouse apartment, and you know, just enjoying, enjoying life again. Yeah. And, but involved in football, involved in sport, total access to. You, find, you finally got that highly paid footballer's lifestyle <laughs> that you were looking for back in early. This is it. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, but it's surreal experience and yeah. great experiences, life experiences, just wonderful thing. Unbelievable fun, again. Yeah, yeah. I was with Absolute Madmen, who were just comedians and... You attract what you are. Yeah, right? don't you? <laughs> you, just, <laughs> <laughs> you really do. And that was just, that said, it was just great. Learned so much. Yeah. So I had total access to the Aspire Academy, which was one of the leading football academies in, in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're just gearing up for, obviously, the World Cup. And it was just, again, a great experience. But again, the spectre of O'Neill came into it. He was the manager of Northern Ireland. He brings me back. He rings me and says, listen, I've got a role here. You're the man for it. And he kind of conned me into coming that back. <laughs> with another group of Yeah, yeah. So I returned home and I've been in this position five and a half years and I've enjoyed it immensely. And do you think, do, do you have more free time now? Because I know that's something you didn't have for many years. Like, you, yeah. you feel that you've got more free time. And... Yeah, there is a bit of that. But the role, the role now, again, changed. We managed to convince UEFA to spend a bit of money with us. And we've got a full-time environment with our 18 young players Yeah, in this academy. Who Six have relocated across Northern Ireland in schools in the greater Belfast area. So yeah. it's a full-time academy, Monday to Thursday, every day. You know, gym sessions, uh, skill sessions, uh, football sessions, they're yeah. doing life skill sessions, they're doing uh, performance analysis sessions, and they're home on a Friday. Play for the clubs Friday night or Saturday morning, mm-hmm. back in on the Sunday. So it's full-time. Yeah, so, it, yeah. So my ambition was to bring a full-time environment to Northern Ireland, and we managed to do that. So, listen, there's a lot of pride involved around that and a lot of, 
you know, there's a lot of backslapping at the minute, but so much work to be, to be done. And yeah. it's and it's my experience as a 16 year old going across trying to trying to earn a living in the game to try and pass that experience on to you know 15 and 16 year olds now. Yeah, yeah. The do's and don'ts and best practice in this professionalism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, and it's just been up and running from September 2019, and we have a four year stint at it. So lots to look forward to. Okay, so the future then? What mm. does the, the do you know what? I don't I don't really know. Uh as I say, timing in football, timing in life, you know, it's it's things have happened to me and they've happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I was asked the question the other week about the, the current, you know, the, the Northern Ireland uh senior manager's jobs coming up. And Michael O'Neill is obviously working at Stoke City at the moment and doing a great job. And he's currently, you know, going to be looking after this the senior international team for the playoffs, hopefully. And then if we manage to get into the Euros, the Euros, but the job's coming up. So I was asked, to do, would I fancy the job? Well, eight, eight years ago, I was interviewed for the job. Yeah. And that was based on the CV and football experience. I've been in this building five and a half years. So yeah. they know yeah. how I work, how I manage, how I go about my business. Mm-hmm. My CV has, you know, expanded. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got greater experience now. I'm a lot older. Life experiences help that, you know, dealing with, dealing with, you know, personal yeah. uh, certainly helps you, you know what I mean? Because you learn so much from that. Uh, so yeah, I'd say I was interested. And then that kind of opened the floodgates mm-hmm. and that's been positive, which is good. But the credibility brought to that job through a fantastic manager and a group of players that have gone on to great things and qualified for the Euros, mm-hmm. narrowly missing out in the World Cup and have the opportunity to qualify for another Euro. Yeah. So it certainly would be a job that would be tempting uh, for anyone. Yeah. And I know and my ambitions still are the same. Yeah. I still see myself uh, as that 16-year-old who's leaving. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it sounds like you're kind of like you would like it, but if it doesn't happen, it's like it's not to be. Yeah. It's one of, one of those things. Yeah. You, you kind of just get to a point sometimes where yeah, I've I've been in that where you really want something mm. and you don't get it and you feel disheartened. It's yeah. like well, you know, if you get it together, if you yeah. don't, you don't. There's always opportunities. Yeah, no matter what, I mean, start to open your eyes, you can see that. Yeah, so you, you can fixate it in just one thing. That's right. But um, and how have you done that? How have you managed to do that? Have you I've, been disappointed? I've been lots of times. Yeah, there's lots of times I wanted you know a, a job or a contract or you know yeah. something I was going for. Um. Just even in work, yeah. You know, I wanted certain clients, or yeah. um, I wanted to go and do something, and it just didn't work out. But when you build yourself up, and you all it's all you can think about, and it doesn't happen, yeah, at least the severe disappointment, yeah. But if you just kind of go right, well, sure, I'll go for that, yeah. And How long does that disappointment last for you? Not very long, nah. So I get not very long at all. It's yeah. usually like a, a kick in the stomach for a few minutes, and then yeah, well, what can you do? You just, yeah, there's a great saying: I hate losing more than I enjoy winning. Billy B. <laughs> Uh, money ball <laughs> but that that kind of sums sums yeah. me up through a football career mm-hmm. do you know i hate it losing and 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 then i realized actually you gotta enjoy your successes yeah you really gotta enjoy you've it. got to celebrate them yeah. and it, it, it's a small wins because mm. uh, especially now with social media and all that sort yeah. of stuff everybody's got these big extravagant lifestyles yeah. but they don't see the work that goes on behind it yeah and you know you do feel more than you win you yeah uh, well, I do anyway. And yeah, I've kind of developed a good relationship with Phil now. Yeah, 
um, failing as manager and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But then when it get a win, it's part of the process. It's part it? of the process. Yeah. Like if we have a good month or a great, and if yeah. something's really worked for us, yeah, I sort of celebrate it. You know, take the boys out or yeah, or just treat myself to something. Yeah, yeah, and totally. celebrate those wins totally because if you're if you don't celebrate the small wins, but you're focused on somebody who's way yeah. up here. You, yeah. you're, you're never going to be satisfied. Well, you miss the trip, don't you? You yeah. miss the journey. And the journey is the, the most enjoyable part of it too, isn't it? I, I think. It's great having that end goal, 100%. Yeah. You've got to have an, an end but goal. The lack of patience as well with people. And, In every aspect. Yeah. Like I find now it's instant reward, mm-hmm. instant gratification, instant success, no longevity, no loyalty. Loyalty kind of way is a word that's getting misused now. And, uh, and for me, like there's no... No practice, no purposeful practice. Nobody actually gives gives real attention to detail, yeah. and I, and and they miss that. I, you know, I'm very much attentive to every little detail because I think if if the details that you know are so important that mm-hmm. uh, that it, it it cultivates something different. It builds your character, doesn't it? Yeah. Joe, so a lot of people are more concerned about their reputation. I talk about this constantly. But the reputation is what someone writes about you or someone says about you. Mm-hmm. Your character is who you are. I see so many people on on social media, mm-hmm. and they're building up a reputation, and it's all about likes, and they're and it's and it's kind of way embarrassing at times. You know what I mean? But you know, character building, character, you know, is who you are, what you are. You yeah. know, let other people talk about reputation and this, yeah. that, and the other. But it's when you build those relationships with people that are closest to you. That they understand but, you, but th- this is the thing: the the people who are close to you know your best, mm-hmm. and you can you can put stuff out there. You can try and you can try and put you know social media posts out. Yeah. If I was to put a social media post out tomorrow with me in front of a fancy car with a with a nice suit on, people would be like, "That's not yeah. just, what the fuck's he at? It's not him." <laughs> <laughs> no point trying to act like you who you are. No, you know I'm I'm kind of. I kind of do live, I wouldn't say a sheltered life, mm-hmm. but I do like my privacy mm-hmm. in, in certain ways. Yeah. Um, good relationships with family. I have a very, very small circle of friends. Yeah. And trying to, I, and I see people doing it as well that I know and you're going, ah, it's kind of you're, 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 try, you're trying to impress people you don't like. Yeah. For, for Instagram. Yeah. And for whatever else. Yeah. And I'm active on social media mm-hmm. and you get caught in it yourself trying to compare yourself with other people and yeah. we all caught in that trap but when you don't take a step back yeah. Or if you if you can't take a step back and go right, I need to focus on myself here. Yeah. That's when you can get caught up being depressed, anxious, all yeah, those kind of things. Totally. And just you spiral downwards. Yeah. I think the people who do it are the unhappiest. Yeah. I think they're the most insecure. Mm-hmm. I think people don't have enough belief in themselves. I think they're they're seeking uh acceptance, Val- validation, validation from, other from others and they get likes and this mm-hmm. and the other. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about you. It's about peace of mind. My dad always talked about peace of mind. It's about putting your head in the pillow and being able to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Do you know? And you, you know, each day, each day, each day. You know, and that's. Yeah. I think that's an important aspect too. Yeah. So, one piece of advice you would give to everybody? Any piece? Any advice you've got? Uh, patience. Patience. Patience and enjoyment. Enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Every day, it's so precious. There's so many things that have happened recently, especially in the round, especially with young people too. You know, it's, it's so sad, but enjoy, enjoy your, enjoy being around good people, and yeah. uh, and have the patience and the honesty and the you know uh, the what's the word I'm looking for? Just just the common decency one. Do you know? Yeah. I I'm very much I'm very much family orientated. Yeah. Very much love 
being in the around that environment, very private, hate washing dirty linen in public. It's one of the worst things that could ever happen mm-hmm. to me, and I don't like it at all. Uh, but I do like small circle mm-hmm. uh, and be nice, be kind, you know, be generous, yeah, you know, and 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 enjoy yourself. Agreed, agreed. Uh, I, th- I think a lot of people just can't seem to enjoy themselves and they're just the where they're sitting. Mm-hmm. Like I'm happy taking the dog off for a walk and getting a Sunday and then spending Sunday with my family, working during the week. I mean, simple pleasures, on, isn't it? Simple I'm pleasures. Happy, happy on a Sunday, I can go and grab a pizza and just sit in front of the TV. I'm like, fuck, this is great. <laughs> but everybody's like, Jesus, he's up in the Galvor, yeah. or he's up there, they're yeah. up there, and yeah. they just can't. They can't just sit there and enjoy themselves. No. I, I'm very, I, I can be in their spot. I'm happy here. Yeah, sofa. I just feel very, very lucky, Chris. Yeah, I've enjoyed a life in, in the game. I'm still putting on my football boots. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm up uh, every day. The sport every, you love. And the sport I love. Do you know when? And, and and hopefully, uh, I hope I can encourage and develop young players to have the life that I've led. Yeah. Do you know the football life I've led? Yeah. I've just if you've got a real ball. real love for the game from yeah. very age, and you can yeah. continue to learn and grow and develop. Yeah, and, and totally. Pass down your knowledge to them. Totally. Some people fall out of love with it. Yeah. That that's fine as well. Absolutely, of course. Um, I'm lucky to do as well. But I like I, I love business. Like I love learning about everybody's business. Love will I be in love with the removals, the storage game? I kind of fell into it, but because I hadn't mastered it yet, I was like, I'm gonna dedicate myself to it. But yeah. will I get on the other business in the future? Probably because yeah. I love the process of learning yeah. about it. And open minded. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important aspect too. Yeah. Even though I'm involved in this, I'm very open-minded. I'm a voracious reader. I love yeah. reading. Autobiography was were my gig. You know, learning from the great, great athletes, great sports people, but great business business people too. Mm-hmm. Getting ideas off them, guys. Phenomenal resource that is open to anyone. And we had a we had. Sorry, we cut off there. Right, Jim. Jim's a reader, apparently. <laughs> no, I, I, I was. I was really, really. You know, I was like you. You were just talking off there. There, you know. You were three books a week. I was the same. Yeah. If I was getting bored with something, I'd start the next one and pick that one up. We were just talking about the All Blacks mm-hmm. Legacy. It's a book that everyone should let. Well, every sports team should read. 100%. And we talk about anybody, humility. Anybody that deals with the team. Yeah. Humility. The humility. Yeah. The lesson that book speaks with shares. That was the first one, wasn't it? Wasn't yeah. It? So, like, and no dickheads. No. So, and you think about that and humility, and we talk about so if we're ever away, all our boys, we leave the dressing room spotless. Mm-hmm. Our kids and I are rehearsed and doing it. Yeah. They pick up, they clean, they make sure it's spotless. Yeah, and I've I've got my boys now at the end of every day. You know, it's a bit of a running joke between us that yeah. you know fold the blankets at the end of the day, yeah. and the truck nice and neat. Yeah, and I'm the one who started it, so I'm the one who has to sort of lead it. And sometimes at the end of a hard day, you're like, <laughs> yeah, we'll just the last thing you're thinking of. But yeah. it's important. It's yeah. important that everybody just gets together. It's the simple things like that. Yeah, that they create routines yeah. and stuff and totally keep, keep you humble. It yeah. really does. And we again that word humility, you know, having the good grace and even calm, like, you know, good manners and just you know, hello. I I love, I love our kids, right? And I'm talking to them. The first thing a coach will look at is can you communicate? Mm-hmm. Are you looking them straight in the eye? Can you hold a conversation? Yeah. And the first thing you do is say, good morning. You know, it's as basic as that. Good morning, how are you? Shake his hand. Yeah. And I'm saying, because that sends out a positive vibe. Uh-huh. That sends out an, a, a message to them that actually I can't communicate and I'm quite happy to deal with you as an adult and, you know, and, and whatever else. So, you know, you have to practice what you preach. Yeah. I'm a good communicator between the hours of 5 a.m. and about <laughs> 6 p.m. And then after that. Forget it. No, forget, good night and God bless. Forget about having a good conversation with me. <laughs> I know. Um, 
I'm saying this the other day, exactly the same thing. The things that I look for in staff, people looking for, you know, things like business, the, the operations of any business can be taught, you know, yeah. but, you know, communication, friendly attitude, positive yeah. and outgoing, good customership. Those things are something that can be developed over time. Nothing. But the cost, cost of having showing up on time is yeah. a huge one. Yeah. Just, 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 Drives being, me nuts. just, just being on time. And Drives me doing, insane. People in our But those are the things that can really set you apart. Even yeah. if you're not the best at whatever you're doing, mm. but those things can be yeah. the thing that, that puts you Co- on the edge. Cost you nothing. Reliability. Yeah. And if you can't get those, those, those are the fundamentals yeah. of being a good, yeah. a good person, a good friend, a good family member. Yeah. And, do you know what? I'm going to be a bit hypocritical when I say this because, see, when it comes to business and meetings and all that stuff, I'm always on time. Yeah. But see, when it comes to my family dinners, yeah. I'm always late. You're a joke. But I died, didn't you? I duck you out. I'd love you. Dinner's about six, and I was showing about half six, close to seven. Really? But they live in the other side of town. I don't know why, the, why I'm in Dunmurray. Yeah. Maybe they're trying to tell me something. I'll yeah, yeah. Rosetta, <laughs> and I'm over in Dunmurray. Yeah. Um, so, so we, like here, we talk about, we flat back, like we talk about. If you're low maintenance and high output, you'll do for me. If you're high maintenance and low output, forget about it. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you're high maintenance and high output, you have to deal with them players. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, but we, I always talk about them, high, high output, low maintenance mm-hmm. and being a good pro because word of mouth. If someone rings me up and talks about a player that I work with and, and I can t- say honestly, because you have to be honest, right? Yeah. You, you turn around, listen, great lad, great trainer, never missed a session, always on time, great leader in the dressing room, great personality, actually can play, you can do X, Y, and Z, take him. Mm-hmm. You stick your hat on, don't worry about him, he's, he's, he's flipping, low maintenance, high output for you, no, no brainer, take him. Yeah. Stick your reputation on him. Well, once, you, once you prove yourself a little bit, you know, yeah. you have to do that, and then and then you can have a little bit of entitlement, but you have to prove yourself for it. Shouldn't be entitled to anything. No. I think entitlement is a huge thing. And a Massive. Lot of- a lot of kids these days massive like I have to deal with it on a day to day basis and I should be uh, I'm sure I, yeah. I should be picked for this and I should yeah. be like why, why should yeah. you know show up late and, and that sort of stuff yeah yeah why, why should they be entitled because no. they're the best player yeah or because they're talented or, and, and work ethic and all the things that we were yeah. just talking about yeah uh, that is crucial but you're right the word entitlement at the moment is uh, it is it is rife mm-hmm and, and Why do you think kids are so entitled? I know we're going off on it there. We're supposed to wrap it up. Yeah, I just, I just think, think, I think, I think it's an important point. Yeah, I think, I think that so much is actually done for them. Yeah. Now, you know, and they're getting picked up, dropped off. Yeah. And then I start expecting sea level. That's what yeah. I'm saying. It's like instant. Yeah. Instant. Go in the March suspensions, you get your instant March material, you get your instant. <laughs> Nobody takes time now to actually do something in prep. You know, everything is instant. Everything is given to you. Yeah. You know, I want this. You know, I want that. Yeah. I, the first thing I look at uh, is feet with players. Feet. feet? Yeah. I see their trainers. I see their boots. I see these sorts of things. They're expensive. Uh-huh. Not many of the kids because there's peer pressure as well. And and maybe families, you know, moms and dads who can't maybe, but they're 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 bound to peer pressure as well. Mm-hmm. Some wants this pair of boots, you know, and and if there's two or three in the family, that's a huge cost. Mm-hmm. But I just think that uh, Xboxes, all this sort of everything is given, given, given. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm waiting for something coming back. Yeah. And I'm waiting for something consistently coming back, you know. And I'm looking for a, an attitude, the mindset around, you know about 
developing young players who want to take time and the thought about life in the game. Uh-huh. Do, do you know what I mean? Because so there's a very few of them actually do that. Mm-hmm. It's like sign a contract. Well, the contract's not the most important thing. Okay, maybe the first time, but are you thinking about a career in the game? Mm-hmm. Are, are you, you actually going to stay at this club for three years as you well? Know, are you going to commit yourself to it? And are you coming huge. home? How many people, how many players actually see their contracts out? So that's what I'm saying. When they sign a two-year deal in England as a scholar, mm-hmm. 89% come home. Mm-hmm. If they get an extra year as a pro, it gives them a, a little bit more security and they may benefit from that. But I, what I'm saying is that when... And maybe I was guilty of that too. Did I really believe at 16 that I was going to be a professional footballer? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. But certainly by the end of my time in Liverpool, this was my life. Yeah. This was going yeah. to be my life. Yeah. So I wonder how many actually think about that now. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they have a... Pro- Is it, it's probably difficult for a 16-year-old to look at the end goal. Yeah, I don't think every 16 years have it figured out unless no. football or, or what they're doing, especially if you're in sports, you need to know Yeah, because like, you could be committing yourself to that for the next 10, 15 years and if you're young enough to know that that's yeah. what you want, then brilliant. Um, my personal opinion is having everything figured out. Mm. I don't have 29, couple of 30 this year. I don't have everything figured no, out. that's right. Correct. The, the only you get, you know, when you're 18, you look at sort of 25, you're like, oh, They've got their life sorted. Then you get the twenty-five, and you go thirty-five. And they've got their life sorted. You know, I don't think anybody has it sorted. No. And I, I think that's the joy too, isn't it? Yeah. The un, the uncertainty at times can be very nerve-wracking and can be very anxious, mm-hmm. uh, but it also can be very exciting. Do you know? Did I ever think I'd, I'd leave here and go to Melbourne? No. Did I ever think I'd go to Qatar? No. Yeah. Do you know? Did I ever think I'd be working at the Irish Football Association? No, maybe as manager because I've been interviewed and I've been uh, and I've been spoken about as the job. Maybe that was in the in the you know in the stars for me. But yeah. you know, anything can happen. Yeah, anything. Hundred percent. Yeah. Turn around tomorrow. You know, you hear about everybody these days. Mm. People commit suicide. People you didn't expect. Mm. Anything can just just yeah. get you. Absolutely. Coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Actually, just talking yeah. about just, our trips, we've just got talk, trips. Just talking about entitlement. Yeah. Like, see, if we were younger and there was a flu going about, you know, you were, listen, I don't give a fuck. Get outside anyway and leave, leave us in peace. We want to have a cup of tea. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, no, no, geez, you can't go out. There's a flu going yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I think I was being coddled as well. As yeah, it's that. People. It's Simon Sainak. If you get a chance, Simon Sainak. Yes. The generation of millennials. Yes. He I've sums seen, it up perfectly. I've seen it on Impact Theory, yeah. wasn't it? He he sums it up perfectly. Yeah. Millennials. It's just, you know, take it or leave it, sort of. You know, and, and again, entitlement. Mm-hmm. And instant. And there's fear. No no real fear. Is there a lack of respect? Maybe. I don't, you know, do people respect as much? I don't know. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, but that's, that. I think that comes from, you know, especially in young lads, mm-hmm. you know, parents tell them mm-hmm. they're never wrong. You know, yeah. a teacher a teacher speaks back to a child now, it's almost like, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. And, and you have to be very you careful. You have to be very careful. Yeah. But then if, if the child goes and spins the story to the, the mom's down at the school right. and he's like, well, if I just spin this story in such a yeah. way, 
if I'd be cheeky to him and if he's cheeky back to me, yeah. I won't spin at them on that. Yeah. And so that, that environment we've created, I mean? that, that environment's been created, you're right. We got a we got the wooden spur to the slipper if we were cheeky, that's that's the way it was with us. Oh. And you know, it was the fear of the slipper was worse than the fear, it was the fear, it was that fear factor, even in school, fear factor with your parents. And yeah, also respect. Yeah. There was huge amounts of respect for for for, for, L, for older yeah, people. Totally. And maybe I that has that gone. Maybe, do you know, mm-hmm. I don't see it a lot. Do you know what I mean? Because when I'm around our boys, they're very respectful, they're good kids. Do you know what I mean? So do I see it outside? Maybe the odd time, probably we were just talking about it. Yeah. You know, and that kind of when you're looking at people like that and you're going, what sort of person are you? Why would you yeah. treat someone with that sort of disrespect? Yeah. I love, I love the point Gary V makes. And yeah. I swear to God, it's one of my favorite things he's ever said. Yeah. He's like, parents are complaining about the way kids are growing up, millennials and Gen Z or whatever it is. Yeah. And he says, you're complaining about them. You're the ones that fucking raised them. <laughs> this is it. I, I could just sum it up better than that. I know. Like I'm saying, I have you know three kids at the minute. Yeah, at the minute, yeah, more. <laughs> <laughs> so three kids, and, and and maybe I'm guilty of it. Maybe I overindulge. Maybe I give in to them. Yeah, certainly, uh, I try not to. Yeah, I try not to because I, I reflect back on how I was brought up, and you know, I say having two parents, you had major influence on my yeah. whole life. You know, uh, you know. You're hoping that they, you, you have a common decency thread running through you. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jim, thank you very much. Chris, brilliant. I really enjoyed that. that. I was an hour and ten minutes. Top on, brilliant. Goes, goes by in the blink of an eye. It does. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Get Thinking Podcast, and I will be back very soon.